coming up on podcast 1533. Over 2.5 million plug-in vehicles now on US roads. Stick around and I'll tell you what I know. Also on the podcast today, BMW and McLaren could make an EV together. We'll have a look at where the EV chargers are around the world, who's hogging them all, and why Google Maps wants to make your EV journeys more efficient. Well, those stories and a lot more are coming up today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's EV News Daily, your trusted source of EV information. For the weekend, Saturday 16th of July, my name is Martin Lee. I've been through every EV story, so you don't have to. We'll start with a story about global EV shipments and that that kind of time of the year where some of the numbers we get are Q1 or Q2 or the first half of the year. So now we're looking at the first quarter of the year now that everything's been tallied and there was a rise of about 80% of electric vehicles being shipped, 1.95 million of them in the first quarter of the year. Tesla dominates the market. According to a study by CounterPoint Research, China emerging as the crucial market for both buying them and making them, and EV shipments in the world's second biggest economy up 126% to more than 1.14 million in the first quarter of the year. The website, thenationalnews.com, writes, The global EV market was able to withstand the negative effects of the pandemic and the supply chain shortages. Uh, The recovery presents a growth opportunity for both existing players and new ones. Shipments would have been higher if it weren't for the supply chain problems, Russia's offensive on Ukraine, uh, COVID-19 waves that beset China. EV sales doubled last full year, 2021, from the previous year. And on a global perspective, nearly 10% of car sales, obviously country to country, it's it's much more different. The biggest cars sold in the first quarter of the year, Tesla Model Y and Tesla Model 3, with shares of 85 and 6.6% respectively. Down in third place was the old number one, the Wuling Hongguang Mini EV. I'll pop a link to that story in the show notes if you'd like to read more. Next in the news is BMW, likely to drop their combustion cars with their new platform from the middle of the decade. BMW's really prevaricated on EVs uh, from a management level. They've been half in, half out, half pregnant all the time. And it was a case of, well, we're going to make electric cars, but they're going to share the same platform as combustion. Oh, we're going to build factories, but they'll run down the same lines as combustion cars. And that's all well and good. It's their business. And they I'm not running it. They are. But everyone knows that there are efficiencies to be had in a dedicated EV platform where the batteries are in the right place, not stuffed in a compromised place because that car might also have a big bonnet because it's got to have an engine underneath and also efficiencies in making the things as well. But hey, it's like I say, it's their business. We've just been pointing it out for years that it's not the most efficient way to go about making electric vehicles, but maybe in the transition decade that we're in, that's how they want to navigate it. They will always lose to the likes of Tesla if you're going to do it like that, but that might be what they've got to do to survive. Now they have apparently decided, this will make you laugh, that the next generation of cars on the new class platform will only be electric. Another rumour about the battery cells is now confirmed. As recently as May, the CEO, Oliver Zipser, uh, saying that uh, when he announced the quarterly figures, the first model based on the new class would be purely electric. But only the first one was confirmed as pure Bev. More could have been coming that were combustion. The platform will now no longer include options for petrol and diesel engines. Or for plug-in hybrids either. Which is, you know, sensible. And also means you can design a car that has lots of interior space. And as long as the front crash structure 
does its job. It hasn't got to have this wildly long bonnet to put a V8 underneath. Uh, for the first model of the new class, it'll be an 800 volts drive architecture, cylindrical cells like Tesla. Uh, they're developing the 46... XX cells. So Tesla is 4680 uh, with 80 millimeter high cylindrical cells. Uh, the diameter will still be 46 millimeters, but the height will be flexible. Uh, they'll use NMC chemistry uh, in the cells, nickel content being increased to around 90% to reduce cobalt. All very sensible stuff. I'll link to Electrive where I found that story for you in the show notes. Now, Staying with BMW, alongside McLaren, could be doing a joint electric car. Uh, the brief affair that generated the McLaren F1 car many years ago is a small but memorable chapter in the automotive world, says carmagazine.co.uk. Earlier this year, the British sports car maker and the German premium maker uh, met behind closed doors to discuss a joint electric vehicle uh, done differently, depending on whether it's got a BMW or McLaren badge on the front. Lots of carbon fibre, high performance. Neither party likes the idea of one car with two badges. So distinct designs in every possible way, but under the skin, commonality. And uh, rather than starting from scratch with a whole new platform, uh, sharing some of those things. Uh, progress has been slow, says Car Magazine, especially when word spread that Audi could be buying McLaren. Of course, BMW said that there would be a risk that their know-how would then filter back through to Audi because after working together, Audi then bought McLaren. At the minute, Audi haven't bought McLaren. That appears to be on the cards. Um, in 2021, the M division of BMW sold 165,000 vehicles. McLaren sold just over 2,000. So why would BMW go for a partnership with McLaren, well, as one BMW engineer tells Car Magazine, and I quote, McLaren is quicker, leaner, and more flexible, willing to and able to take bigger risks. They do small volume production runs at costs we can only dream of, end quote. So uh, we'll wait and see what happens there. But wouldn't that be exciting? Really high-performance McLaren electric car, high-performance M-badged BMW, but all ultimately sharing costs, making those cars profitable, and hopefully the best technology from both. Ah, it sounds like a win-win all round. Now let's take a look at some of the Tesla Gigafactory news in Shanghai. They doubled their vehicle exports in the first half of the year, despite the COVID shutdown. 97,000 vehicles exported up to the end of June, compared to about half that in the previous year. Tesla delivering 79,000 vehicles in China in the month of June alone, which is up 177% on the year. So still big increases happening. They're still ramping production at Shanghai Gigafactory. They made about 300,000 vehicles in the first half of the year. They could do 600,000 by the end of the year. It's so important to Tesla as their main export hub. But what about Texas? Well, that's coming along as well. There's a drone flyover uh, pilot uh, called Joe, who is there a couple of days a week, I think. And looking at Giga Texas, he thinks that from his drone shots, looking at how Model Y production is ramping up and hitting a new gear, uh, that 150 cars a day are leaving the facility at Texas, which is a great ramp. But I would say he's not there every day. He's not there 24-7 unless you're looking at... And I, I know, I'm not doing down a guy that is clearly passionate, flies his drone over Texas, you know, very popular in the Tesla community, but he's not there every day. And he, and he only goes in the mornings and it's a case of you can't look at these drone videos and think that, the, that it's 150 cars a day they're making. But it it's a guide, right? So... 
I don't know. I don't want to, you know, pour water on his fire. Uh, but clearly, it's a good guide about how Texas is coming along as well. And a reminder that until we get official figures, we think things are going well. Now, in the US headline story, cumulative plug-in electric car sales. So that's all of them. All of them on the road, apart from the ones that, you know, someone drove into a tree. After more than a decade, the plug-in electric car market in the US has really notable volumes now. The Department of Energy's vehicle office uh, is highlighting that with the cumulative number of passenger plug-ins, so not hybrids, plug-ins, 2.6 million now. But that was back in April, so it's going to be so much higher already. They go back to 2010 when the Leaf was on sale and the Volt was on sale. Uh, Argonne National Laboratories data uh, indicates it took eight years to get the first million EVs on America's roads. That was eight years. The second million was achieved in two and a half years. Ten months later, 0.6 million vehicle sales have been noted, an average rate of about 700,000 a year in 2021, early 2022. But soon the US market will be at more than a million plug-in vehicles a year uh, because it's ramping so quickly. And then the next milestone will be 100,000 vehicles a month, uh, 1.2 million a year. Link to Inside EVs in the show notes if you'd like some more numbers. Now, the charging network Lego looks like they've purchased the other charging network Mega E. And I've never used Mega E, uh, but there's about 100 of those sites with 770 charging points. And they will now be folded into a parent company owned by a Lego, cost them 33 million euros in cash. And they say it's in line with their strategic orientation, that's their words, uh, to focus on fast charging and ultra-fast charging. But what about where chargers are? Well, I found this interesting report published by the ACEA. That is the European uh, Automobile Manufacturers Association. That's it, the ACEA. They are led by, it's all sorts, Volkswagen's in there, uh, the, the German car makers, Toyota, Honda's in there. Volvo just pulled out, but I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, they've looked at where data shows that charging points are, and they say that half of all charging points for electric cars in the European Union, so not including the UK, are concentrated in two countries. The Netherlands has 90,000 chargers and Germany has 60,000 chargers. These two countries make up less than 10% of the surface area of the European Union, uh, but they are over half of all the chargers. The other half of chargers scattered throughout the remaining 25 countries and 90% of the surface area. Uh, the Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Regulation, being proposed by the European Commission, will help address the situation, but they say its ambition is insufficient. Uh, they do define electric cars in this study, so I did dig into this. Electric car means plug-inable, which is a good thing. They don't define chargers, which is the first massive problem with this story for me, because a charger could be a 3 kilowatt you know, granny plug, it could be a 7 kilowatt charger, it could be a 22 kilowatt AC, could be a 50, could be a 350 high power charger. So they don't, they haven't defined, at least as I can find, what charger means. So maybe the Netherlands, I don't know this, are just really, really good at putting tons of slow chargers everywhere. That's not a problem. They also say that half of all chargers are in two countries, which may be true, and they complain that that is less than 10% of the surface area, which is a ridiculous thing to state because. If you're doing it on surface area, you are ignoring population centres. Therefore, what you are arguing for as a group of European car makers is for some sort of balance. Well, what, what, what are they getting at here? Like they want chargers in the middle of fields, in the middle of nowhere. Like you want to go because they were complaining that there's not 
charges in you know big countries. But many of these countries are massively rural and have large population centres concentrated in one place. So why would you put charges in the middle of nowhere that no one's going to use? That doesn't make any sense to, to, to rank this by surface area. You do it by either population density, by area, or something. Oh, this seems, this seems inaccurate uh, at best. But I'd like to know what they mean by charger as well. So interesting to cover it. But let's not put too much weight in that. Right, coming up on the podcast very soon, we'll have a look at why oil price rises are offering new opportunities and Europe Car increasing the range of their EVs and the fleet. Stick around, those stories are on the way. All right, this is great news. Google Maps are going to offer energy-efficient routes for EVs. Last year, they began offering an alternative way to navigate your car from one place to another, where typically a nav app optimizes the shortest travel time. It'll look at other crowdsourced data, accidents on the way. Google Maps started offering routes that would be more fuel-efficient and eco-friendly, but it defaulted to combustion cars. Obviously, that's different to how you drive an electric car. So, the latest beta update to Google Maps, if you're interested, version 11.39. Now, you can specify the engine type of what you're driving. So, options for petrol, diesel, electric, hybrid, Google Maps then tailor your nav and your route for what saves you the most energy, according to driving an electric car. Not tried this out yet, but I really want to give it a go to see if it chooses a different route on some of the journeys that I do more often, and also how much energy it could save me. I'd have to kind of try and map that on the same day in the same conditions, but that'd be very, very interesting. Now, oil prices are rising and giving places like China the chance to upgrade their new energy strategy. They've increased petrol prices in China 10 times this year because of the rising cost of crude oil indirectly filtering into daily lives, forcing authorities to rethink energy strategy. Well, China's been encouraged to focus on EVs and new energy for many years now. Although its relationship with Russia has raised concerns, there's rising geopolitical tensions over the future relationships between countries. But as oil prices are rising, it looks like there's an opportunity. Whoever goes electric and zero emissions quicker than the others uh, will certainly win that race. But we've known that for a while now, right? Now, Europe Car in the UK have made some additions to their EV fleet. The daily rental company are adding EVs all the time, they say, with the aim of giving businesses and drivers the chance to experience electric in a real-world condition before you commit to buying one or a lease. The latest additions are several hundred Model 3s added to their business rental and Mercedes-Benz EQB 350s. I love that car. Initially available uh, based out of Heathrow Airport. Now, some of those are long-term business rentals, three-month minimum kind of thing. Uh, But you pay no deposit. They sort the insurance, the maintenance. You get a Shell recharge card for your charging as well. Uh, I'll pop a link to Europe Car if you're interested in the show notes. And some EVs now repay themselves within a year. So someone in the US has crunched the numbers on this, and I find it really interesting We know that you pay more at the outset for an electric vehicle, but we know you get that money back over a period of time with lower running costs and maintenance. Electric vehicles are now a better deal because of the rising price of, you guessed it, gas. And the cars in the US that still have the $7,500 federal tax credit. Well, this person writing for InsideClimateNews.org says the payback period a year ago was between 10 and 12 years for some electric vehicles. Lengthy, but some people said it was worth it. Today, a year later, 
the payback time on electric vehicles for many of them is five to six years. Again, that is a long time. Estimates of the costs in 2021 and 2022 were done with similar cars, the Nissan Sentra, which is a combustion car, and the Nissan Leaf in the US. I'm not sure what spec Leaf they chose, by the way. I couldn't find that out because, you know, whether it's small battery, big battery, what spec, it does make a difference. But they tried to get the purchase price for the Leaf around $27,400. That is more than the sticker they paid for the Sentra, $19,000. But the Leaf began to make up the difference because of the annual savings on fuel and maintenance of $1,500 a year. But here's the kicker. In none of the calculations I've given you so far did they factor in the federal tax credit. So if you do buy an EV that still has that, looking at you, Nissan Leaf, not looking at Fords for much longer. But if you can, it changes everything. And if you factor that into a Nissan Leaf, the payback is now one year with current US gas prices. Wow. Great story. I'll pop the link to that so you can read the whole thing in the show notes if you'd like to. Well, that's your podcast for today. Question of the week, taking a small break, but it will return. You can email me anytime about anything. My address, hello at evnewsdaily.com. Thanks to our premium partners of the podcast on Patreon. It's you, Phil Roberts of Electric Future, Brad Crosby, Porsche of The Village in Cincinnati, Audi of Cincinnati East, Volvo Cars of Cincinnati East, National Car Charging on the US mainland and Aloha Charge in Hawaii, Derek Riley from the EV Review Island YouTube channel, Richard, who runs rsev.co.uk for buying and selling EVs in the UK. Octopus Electric Juice, they make public charging simple with one card, one map and one app. And of course, millbrookcottages.co.uk. Treat yourself to a five-star luxury cottage break, whether it's for the week, a nice long weekend. You can book it online mega easy. And do it quickly because they're getting booked up. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow. And remember, there is no such thing as a self-charging hybrid. <laughs>